Well, we're getting closer to postseason, and it's here. We're going to be in Omaha soon, and then we're going to have the draft in the summertime, and that's why I love this edition of Amateur Hour. It's because we're getting swept into it, and it's okay. It's okay to get caught up into the, the name chasing because these young men have earned the name chasing. And what I love, Danny, about our guest, Ethan Wilson, South Alabama, Ryan Cusick of Wake Forest, and Wake is done. Cusick has made his final outing as a college baseball player. He'll never play college baseball again. Is, uh, is that these guys are blue-collar guys. These guys were not the very top guys in the class coming out. Heck, Ian Wilson was, or Ethan Wilson, I should say, was um, you know, lucky to get inside the top 500 in the 18 class. And yet I'm, I'm looking at an email now as we do the open of this podcast, and I see Ryan Cusick in a mock draft going at 19 to the Toronto Blue Jays. This hasn't been released by the time the podcast has. It'll be on the website. And I see Ethan Wilson, Minnesota Twins, 26th pick overall in a mock draft. That doesn't make it so. But let's be honest, with Brian Sikowski involved and Vinny Servino involved, um, it does make it so. They will be first-round picks. So I, I love both of these guys. Ryan first because Ryan is a guy with a big arm who has evolved his final start. I, I'm selfishly going to dive in on that last outing. It's almost like Kevin Costner in For Love of the Game. I, I kind of want to get inside his head. On the last college game he ever pitched against Pitt, and he shoved, struck out 10 and 7 and a third. Man, you nailed it producing this podcast. Cusick was a great get. I liked our conversation with him because we talked about leaving your ego at the door and how he – had one of the best, if not the best fastballs in college baseball, and then decided to change his fastball grip. And his coach talks about, leave that ego at the door. Can you do it better? Can it be made better? What, how can you top yourself? Instead of just being content with having the best fastball in college baseball, he decided to push himself even farther. And just the conversation about personalities in the game today and pitchers that he likes and how the culture shift is trickling all the way down to college baseball. It always has been in that space, but even more so now those guys are feeling even more comfortable truly being themselves and, and just listening to him explore what baseball looks like and how he wants to fit into that space. I really, really enjoyed the conversation with Ryan. That was my first time talking to him and, and he did not disappoint. Ethan Wilson, again, a guy who, what I loved about the conversation, and this happens in anything we do in life, whether it's as a school teacher, as a doctor, content creator, when you make it about the me, you take on burdens. That doesn't mean you're selfish. That just means you're trying to grow yourself um, in, in Wilson's case. But when that means when you have an 0 for 12, man, that burden of being about the me makes you sometimes sit up through the night and not sleep well. When you make it about the we um, in college baseball or in teaching or in anything else you do, um, I think those burdens can get a little bit lighter. That was my favorite part of the conversation with Ethan Wilson. He wasn't great in the COVID year. He had his ups and downs this year, but all of a sudden he's going to be a first rounder because the we, his team, playing meaningful games, playing in the NCAA tournament for the first time ever for him. And uh, I think he got swept into that. That's just going to make him a better me, a better individual. He's evolved so much during his time at South Alabama freshman year, true freshman, he's the Sunbelt conference player of the year. And this year you fast forward, he's 
in his game against Coastal, we talk about he gets a couple of intentional walks. He hits a 495-foot bomb. He's evolved a lot and had to learn how to adjust his at-bats and, and really he worked on the mental side of his game. He said he had tears of joy when they end up winning the Sunbelt Conference and knowing that they'll be able to play in the NCAA tournament. They're facing Miami and they could, listen, they could make a run. They, they feel confident. They're on a roll. He admitted they haven't had the best offense, but they're finally clicking. It was a great conversation. He was so thoughtful. He had great, long, meaty answers. He was great. He's awesome. And, and a team's going to be really lucky to get him. Both of these guys... In July, when you are cleaning up from your 4th of July party and about a week later, both of these guys will be multimillionaires. And it's cool <laughs> the level of humility they have. Their lives are about to change forever, forever and ever and ever. So enjoy getting to know them. That's simply how I, I, I want to put it. South Alabama is not only the Sunbelt champs. They're heading to Gainesville for the NCAA tournament and the better thing, the better, the more exciting part of this conversation is that we get to talk with Ethan Wilson, outfielder for South Alabama. And before we talk about the tournament, something that you are going to experience for the very first time in your career, which is ridiculously exciting, I'm sure. I want to go back to the game versus Coastal in the conference tournament. You guys swept that tournament just incredible performance from your team but you had a a 495 foot home run almost 500 feet 115 <laughs> miles per hour off the bat i'm i'm looking at these numbers and i'm i'm looking over them twice because i can't believe what i'm reading but more importantly you're intentionally walked 3 times in that game. And I just looking at the evolution of you from 2019 to this point and how you got to the place where you're being intentionally walked three times in a game, how have you grown and developed from 2019 when you are player of the year to this moment against coastal, you're being walked intentionally three times. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think uh, as a freshman coming in, you always kind of, want to make a name for yourself um you know no one no one really knew who I was um coming out of high school didn't really get recruited um very very highly you know I had offers from South Alabama and then from Troy so uh but you know coming to to South I knew that I had a chance to start as a freshman and to make an impact early so that's really what I what I was trying to do and you know I, as a freshman uh, I started I started in every game um, ha had a really good year, but, you know, I, I feel like I was getting pitched a whole lot different than I am now, um, especially early in the count. Like I was, I was seeing a lot of fastballs uh, and, you know, I was getting my swings off early. And then obviously uh, after my freshman year, people kind of had the scouting report on me. And, um, you know, this year has been a challenge just because I've had to learn how to take my walks um, and learn how to, uh, just have faith in the guys um, behind me. Like, obviously, um, you know, whoever's batting behind me has done a really good job in picking me up this year when I have been intentionally walked. So I think just understanding that, you know, the game always comes back around to you. Like, you know, at Coastal, I, I did that in my first bat and then got intentionally walked twice. And then 
eventually had the chance to swing the bat again and ended up delivering with a triple. So, you know, it's just, it's just uh, having the ability to stay locked in and um, baseball's baseball's a hard game as it is. Um, so I, I just try to, you know, have fun with it. Um, not put too much pressure on myself and know that my teammates have my back uh, when I do get intentionally walked. So. Yeah, a thousand percent. I, I love hearing that. And so now <clears throat> Sunbelt Conference champs, you're headed to Gainesville for the regional in the NCAA tournament, your first time going to the tournament in your college career. What were right. the emotions that you felt and your team felt and, and how did you feel knowing that you will get the opportunity to taste and smell and hear what the NCAA tournament's all about? Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. It was a crazy feeling. Um, you know, going into the tournament, we knew that our RPI probably wasn't going to be good enough to uh, get it at large. So, you know, going into it, we knew we had to win to to get into a regional. And so, um, you know, we we definitely. Uh, had some some pressure on us because obviously everybody wants to to experience a regional and get into the postseason. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the championship game, uh, when the last out was recorded, it was just crazy emotions, um, tears of joy, just knowing that, you know, our season wasn't over yet. And, you know, once once you get in the postseason, anything can happen. Um, obviously, Coastal Carolina from a few years ago, um, the underdogs went on to win the College World Series. So, you know, we definitely feel like we're in a really good spot right now. I feel like we're playing the best baseball we have played all year. So I am looking forward to going down to Gainesville and um, playing in that regional. Understand the, the crux of this question, and please, because I'm not trying to insult you when I ask it, Ethan, but how important – was it was playing meaningful games? In other words, trying to win a win a chance to go to the tournament for the first time ever, being a good teammate. How important was that this year to make it about we instead of me? How helpful was that for you? Because making it about you is the right thing to do. The me is the right thing to do. You're preparing yourself. You're a better player if you're worried about yourself. But I know when you are talked about a ton, when you're already in mock drafts at Christmas time last year. That's a lot of pressure. But then when it's about we, the pressure's on you guys. It's not just on you yourself. How much did having a winning team help kind of take the burden off of you to worry about the draft after that that time gets there? Did that help? Yeah, absolutely it helped. Um, you know, and having just having teammates that, you know, under, understand the the pressure that I'm under, you know, they they they're kind of feeling that same with with our team this year. Um, I feel like we've, we've been through so many ups and downs this year. We've, you know, we've gotten down to like 45 in RPI and then kind of went on a losing streak. And, you know, so there's, it's been like a roller coaster um, all year for, for me personally. And then for the team, um, obviously not getting off to the start that I would have liked to, but um, you know, I, I think we're, like I said, I think we're playing the best baseball right now. Um, I feel good with where I am. Um, as a player, uh, personally. So, yeah, it, it, it has definitely helped to take my mind off the draft, uh, just knowing that, you know, the coaches and my teammates have my back, um, no matter, you know, how good or how bad I'm playing.
And I know your generation has far much more empathy towards one another. You guys are much more caring than my generation was, certainly <laughs> as a college baseball player and a minor leaguer myself. But that being said, I also know it's helpful, Ethan, that when you can get in your own head and as a prospect, it's nice to have your teammates around you, not just to pick you up, but quite frankly, to rag you, to, to give you yeah. business, to, 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 <laughs> to when you do feel like you, you may be the most special thing in the room to remind you, you ain't. And, and yeah. isn't, that, isn't yeah. that nice to have teammates to give you, the, and I, I, you can give me an anecdote or you don't have to, but maybe one day you've probably walked in the room, oh, here comes Johnny big time. I read seven <laughs> more articles about him today. Do you get a little bit of that in a helpful way from your teammates? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, in this day and age, sarcasm is at an all-time high. So Yes, I'm um, glad to know that. Just, you know, like, obviously, we joke around all the time. Um, it helps to kind of, uh, you know, make the load a little less heavier. So it's not – I mean, it's – I don't take anything personally. Um, obviously, I'm a very easygoing guy. So, yeah, I, I definitely like to, to hear all the, the sarcastic remarks about – you know, the draft and Mr. Big Time and all that. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I enjoy it. So definitely helps. <laughs> the, the, uh, the class of uh, sarcasm, the generation of sarcasm. I think that I, my mom always says to me, Danielle, sarcasm will get you nowhere in life. And I'm like, it's gotten me this far, mom. So we're doing okay. We're doing okay. All right. So this South Alabama team you mentioned, you know, taking its hits this year and really trying to find it, find your footing. And, but now you have this momentum going into the tournament and I guess what, what is your team made of? Who, who are some of the guys that are those key players that pick you up when you're down or provide that clutch hitting for you kind of give some details about the makeup of your team. Yeah. I mean, I think just, you know, like, obviously, our offense has been um, pretty much the worst in the Sun Belt all year as far as average and runs and all that. But our pitching has been the best and our defense has been the best. Um, you know, I think we're ranked in the top 20 nationally in uh, defense and pitching. So that's that's kind of been the makeup of our team. And then, you know, it's crazy because uh, in the tournament, we, you know, we scored at least – I think six runs in four out of the five games. I mean, in three three out of the four games. So uh, it was. I feel like we're playing the base baseball right now because we're we're scoring runs when we need to score runs. Um, you know, this past this past week in the championship, I uh, Mike Sandel. You know, he's he's batted in the three hole behind me for most of the year, and you know, obviously uh, there was. Two, two points in the game, in the championship game, where we had runners on first and second with one out with me up, and I didn't come through. And then both times he came up and he got a hit and got two RBIs. So, you know, it it's just – it definitely helps uh, relieve some of the pressure knowing that, you know, you don't have to do it all for your team. Um, you know, Cameron Tissue uh, delivered against UT Arlington – in the bottom of the eighth to, to help us win that game. And, you know, it's just the guys in the bottom of the order really stepped up in the conference tournament and, you know, have uh, kind of um, taken more of a leadership role at the plate uh, in the postseason. So, 
yeah, I mean, our, our identity is definitely pitching and defense, but I think uh, we are, you know, we're hitting um, at an all-time high right now and scoring runs uh, when we need to score runs. So, you know, I, I think that um, if we keep playing like we're playing, we can we can make some noise in Gainesville. Yeah, timely hitting is probably the most important thing, I think, heading into the tournament. The slate is clean. Everyone starts yeah. back, right? You are yeah. you are kind of evened out now with everybody. You guys are going to take on Miami. But I just wanted to go back to something that you said, talking about how you weren't able to deliver in some of those moments that maybe you were hoping to. What have you learned in your time at South Alabama that's allowed you to recognize that and then continue to play at an elite level like how has your mental game grown yeah I think I think it's it's definitely uh grown you know I I think that's the part of the game that I have developed the most since my freshman year um you know I I say this to a lot of people but my freshman year if if I didn't get a hit my first bat I probably wasn't going to have a very productive game um, because I would always be replaying that, that at bad and, you know, what I did wrong. And, uh, but this year, you know, I, I have learned to, you know, accept that I got out and move on and get ready for my next at bat. Um, I think it's, it's very important in the game of baseball to understand that, you know, um, every at bat is, is one at bat, obviously. And, you know, just to move on as, as quick as, as you can. So that's what I try to do. And, you know, obviously it's the game is nine innings and it usually takes forever. So uh, I, I, I know going into the game, I'll, I'll probably get at least four at bats, maybe five. So just to take it one at bat at a time and uh, learn to just enjoy every second of it. Ethan, when I have conversations with young athletes um, and when Danny and I have them, when they're in high school, they, they speak with a lot of, you know, love and, and, and gratefulness towards their parents. But a lot of times when I get to mom and or dad, um, the answer is very different than a man. And you're a man now. So I'm just going to mention your parents' names. And I'd love your initial thoughts, because a lot of times when I'll talk to a high school guy about mom, they'll say, oh, mom's the best. She balances it out. She pushes me in school and she makes sure my I have, I have snacks and food and that's, that's what they'll talk about. And that, that's the right answer. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're a man now, and you don't live at home, and it's a different life. So as, as I mentioned their names, why don't you tell me what comes to mind? First up is your mom, Melody. Tell me about her. Yeah, mom is uh, – mom definitely is more of, you know, the – you know, how, how is your how, – how are your relationships? Um, she, she, don't, she doesn't really care uh she does care about you know how I'm doing in baseball but she wants to make sure that um I'm good in every other aspect of my life uh and you know she she definitely does balance balance everything out um she she always makes sure that that I have everything I need um you know she she's made sacrifices for me to be where I am today um you know she she loves me I know she loves me I know she cares about me and my brother uh, she, she's always at every game and, you know, I, I love her because she, she tells it how it is. Uh, if I don't play good, she doesn't tell me that I play good. She lets me know that I didn't play good. And, um, she's just a very straightforward person. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd give anything, um, for her. Uh, I love her more than anything. 
What about Ray, dad? Yeah, and, you know, dad, the, the same way. Um, you know, growing up, uh, he's always he's always coached me. He he coached football for 10 plus years. And, you know, I was I was the quarterback and he was offense coordinator. So we definitely had a, a love hate relationship. Um, but man, dad has has made so many sacrifices for me, uh, you know, growing up um, in Andalusia, a small town. Uh, it was very, very hard for me to get recruited. Um, but dad, he, he drove me all over the freaking world just to, to, uh, get my name out there and to, you know, help me, uh, get recruited. And, you know, I, I can't, I will never be able to thank him enough for all the sacrifices that he made for me to be where I am today. And, you know, obviously, um, moving forward, I know that mom and dad will always be there for me and. Um, I definitely have the two best parents in the world. My last one for you is, is this a playoff beard? Are we continuing to grow? Is this what we always have all season? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is just a postseason beard. Okay. Um, I definitely need to clean. I, I look really bad right now. I definitely need to, to trim it up a little bit, but you know, I, after, after the coastal game, I was, I was going to trim it, but I think, you know, we played so well, I was like, I can't, I can't change anything right now. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna keep it until uh, the Jags are, are done. And hopefully that's not for, you know, at least a, a couple more weeks. <laughs> a thousand percent. And, and do you know anyone who plays for Miami or have you guys started to kind of dive into their team, watch any tape on them? Uh, no, not yet. We we'll, we'll start doing that today. Um, you know, I, I know they're, they're going to be good. You know, they have, um, uh, a couple of, you know, prospects that are going to go pretty early in this year's draft. Um, I do know, I know Anthony Arguez, he is the younger brother of Andy Arguez on our team. And so it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really cool to, to see those two guys play against each other. Um, I know their, wow. their family is going to be, Oh uh, super, super stressed out this weekend. So uh, <laughs> probably, probably going to need a, a drink or two. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Is that an invitation for us to start now or no, no, we can't, <laughs> we, we can't do that. That's true. I'm not involved that way. Hey, listen, so I just got an email. I'll show you here. You're not gonna be able to see it, but this is a, a brand new mock draft that's coming out and, and mm -hmm. you're on this list. No surprise. Right. So how much does it mean to you? Um, and I don't think it's with a chip on your shoulder. Um, at all, but how much does it mean to you that when you look at the class of 2018 and the rankings, you're 467, and then you're on this email here in the first round of the mock draft? Uh, how much does that mean to you, and what does that say about the college experience for some athletes that definitely will benefit from it? Yeah, man, I I think it it means a lot to me. You know, I'll never I'll never stop playing with a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, I I think I play I play better like that. I just I love playing as hard as I can every single game, um, even if it's a meaningless game like we had in the tournament. You know, our second game didn't really mean anything, but, you know, every game means something because, um, you know, obviously with COVID, you never know when it's going to end. And uh, yeah, coming out of high school, you know, I I'm, I'm not really surprised because I, I did. I worked extremely hard, man. I, 
I feel like I put myself in a really good um, position to succeed and to be where I am today. And, you know, to the, to the younger guys, um, maybe in, in smaller towns that they have, have trouble getting recruited or just to guys that are overlooked or feel like they are, I, you know, you, you can never teach work ethic. And I feel like if, if you have the right work ethic and you know that you are working extremely hard and put in the work and, you know, I, I think the results and everything else will take care of itself. Um, and that's, that's the one thing that I, I kept telling myself, you know, before I got to South and even throughout my career at South, I was going to be, you know, the first one in the weight room, the last one to leave, the first one in the cages, the last one to leave. Like, I just want people to see that I'm the hardest worker on the team. Like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be, be successful and to help um, whatever team I'm on be successful. And, you know, I, I know that, that I put in the work. And so that gives me confidence on the field um, because, you know, in my mind, nobody works harder than me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just chase your dreams and never stop. Awesome, man. Time to open the scouts notebooks and hear from Vinny Servino. He will break down the entire field of 64 from his perspective. And uh, look, we're, we're smarter when we listen to him. Vinny, go. Hey, everyone. My name is Vinny Servino, college supervisor with Perfect Game Baseball. And we are here to talk about the field of 64 that was recently released by the NCAA for the college baseball tournament. Uh, a lot of surprising bids here. We got the last four in teams at Alabama, Michigan, North Carolina, and UC Santa Barbara, with the first four out being Baylor, Pitt, Georgia, and Ball State. Obviously, a lot of discrepancies there, but uh, w one of the themes of the uh, tournament seemed to be that the ACC was uh, punished a little bit for maybe a lack of a non-conference schedule. Uh, they weren't quite uh, Big Ten in terms of only playing each other, but they only had two non-conference series to start the year, then right into ACC play. And you see that with teams like Pitt and Louisville not making it. It seemed like Florida State dropped into a three seed, uh, Notre Dame being the only uh, host site for the ACC. So that's definitely one of those things to keep an eye on. Uh, Arkansas is the number one seed, of course. Uh, they've been the most complete team in the entire country for the season. Uh, it's interesting because they get Nebraska and Northeastern, two of the uh, tougher teams. Nebraska won the Big Ten, and Northeastern also won their conference tournament. Uh, Northeastern has a pair of uh, sophomore arms in Sebastian Keene and Cam Schlitter to keep an eye on. While Nebraska, uh, they have a pair of arms as well, and Shea, Shea Shanneman and Spencer Schwellenbach to really watch, along with Cade Povich. Um, some other themes there, uh, the Knoxville Regional struck me as a particularly tough one for Tennessee, despite being the number three overall seed. They get uh, one of the hottest teams in the ACC in Duke, who just is just coming off running the gauntlet and winning the ACC tournament, along with Liberty, who we have ranked in our top 25, and Wright State, who won the Horizon League and is one of the better offensive countries in the country. Um, VCU is an interesting number two seed here for Mississippi State. They'll also get Samford and Campbell in the Starkville Regional. Uh, another regional that caught my eye was the Eugene Regional with Oregon hosting. Gonzaga, Oregon is a very, very fun matchup. And I think that's one that I'm kind of rooting for personally to see. Gonzaga has some power arms in Oregon. It's been one of the best teams in the Pac-12 all season. Uh, also in the Eugene Regional is LSU, who could be eyeing a magical final run with head coach Paul Maneri. Uh, the Greenville Regional also stands out to me with ECU as the one seed and Charlotte as the two seed. Charlotte was a potential number one seed before falling in the Conference USA tournament, and they also get Maryland as a three seed as one of the hotter Big Ten teams in the country. 
Uh, Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech is a fun one as well in the Nashville Regional. Indiana State has been one of the most consistent teams in the country, uh, finishing second out in the Missouri Valley. It's good to see uh, that conference get another bid there. Um, and then some other regionals to keep an eye on. You get Florida, Miami, and Gainesville, which is very interesting. Uh, and Texas Tech, UCLA over in Lubbock. Uh, along with some West Coast teams in Palo Alto for the Stanford Regional with Stanford, UC Irvine, Nevada, and then North Dakota State winning their regional as well. Ryan Cusick, you've come on our radio show. We've loved getting to know you as someone who loves college baseball and who geeks out on the draft. It's been fun for, for us this year. Um, so I want to dive deep. I know Danny has some stuff that she's going to get to know about you. Um, I, I really want to go within the last start that you made because there are moments in our lives. Look, I pitched in a ball. I didn't get past that, but I remember my last time I pitched in college at, you know, what was then the world series, uh, for smaller colleges. So you, you dealt in your last start and it's over, right? Your college career is over and, and let's be realistic. I mean, the draft is going to happen, even though you have years left. We hope you use that to get your degree, but it's over, dude. You're going to pro ball now. So that outing against Pitt, what was it like waking up? What was it like warming up? Um, and then I want to get into the game itself, but kind of walk me through that last outing. Yeah, so it was pretty cool to have some success in my last outing of the season. Um, honestly, it was like nothing nothing crazy. Um, you know, I just did the same routine that I do every other um weekend start that I've had over the past three years um and I'd love to say like I was super emotional like in the morning knowing it was my last time but like to be honest I just kind of ignored that in order to be the best that I could be so I put the emotions aside and just said like I'm gonna do everything the same exact way the I um the goal of the day to get a win um and worry about everything else once I come off the field that's exactly what I what I did all right, so get technical with me, understanding you're talking to an old pitcher whose father pitched himself to the Hall of Fame. Like, I get your job. So talk to me about the warm-up in the bullpen. You know, talk to me about the first couple innings, what you commanded well, why you commanded it well. Right. I think just right out of the gate, I was able to, um, you know, just have all, all three pitches working. Uh, my fastball command was exceptional um, in the first uh, three innings. And then once my breaking ball got going, um, around the third and fourth inning, I was able to establish it for a strike where they had to respect it. And once I was able to pound it in the zone for a strike, they were sitting in between pitches. And I was able to use it as my two-strike breaking ball and expand off the zone. So um, knowing that they really had to sit in between the two pitches all day, and seeing that I carried my velocity um, and, you know, life on my fastball throughout all eight innings, um, it made it tough for them to uh, catch up to it. So, so finally, when it's over, right, you walk up the mound, you, you're at Couch, you're, you know, David Couch Ballparks, you're at home in Winston-Salem. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of love for you. People are knowledgeable enough to know. And when you sit finally and you catch your breath, right, yeah, the game gets going on, the game goes on, right? You've handed it off and the game goes on. Besides digging yourself, which I hope you were, I hope you were digging yourself a little bit sitting there. What were some of your reflections once you put that towel around your neck? Once you, you know, whatever you did, jacket on, whatever you did, what were some of your reflections once you were done working? Um, to be honest, I was super proud that I could end the season on a high note. Um, the My previous few starts weren't the best that I've had all season. And um, to be able to end on a strong one kind of proved myself that I wasn't getting tired, that I was um, maybe just had some tough luck and made some bad pitches over the past couple of weeks. And 
it was really cool to end on um, that start because one of my buddies, Mike Tarconi, had three two-run shots and we're up six nothing when I came out. So it was kind of in a position where I knew like I came out in the eighth and I, I knew that we we're in the position to um, get five more outs and get the win. So it wasn't a super stressful situation once I came out of the game. So it was cool to give my teammates some hugs and kind of sit back on the bench and um, just see the guys play out for the rest of the five outs. I love the confidence. First of all, you and I haven't had a conversation, but I, I love the confidence. I love hearing you use positive adjectives to describe yourself and your pitching. And, and I've, you know, just kind of listening to interviews that you've done in the past. Um, something that kind of struck me was you talking about leaving your ego at the door and having quote unquote, one of the best fastballs in college baseball, and then deciding to change your grip because you want to try to make it a little better. So who's helped you develop that attitude and that confidence? really something that I've learned um, throughout, you know, my seven years of playing high school and college baseball. And um, I think the biggest thing is you got to have confidence in yourself in order to have anyone else have confidence in you. So if you believe in yourself first, then other people will follow. Um, in terms of making adjustments, I just think I'm, I, from day one, I've been taught to kind of be like a sponge and just soak up as much as I possibly could, um, whether it's talking to of a fellow coach, uh, a coach, a fellow ball player, um, and really just trying to learn something from everyone that um, I meet. So that's just kind of my attitude since I was in ninth, 10th grade. Um, and since then, it's kind of worked. I'm sure you've had so many people who are giving you great advice, people who have supported you, have been advocates for you. It's usually a, a pretty big army um, when you've gotten to this point in your life, especially with the draft stock that you have. I wanted to know the best pitching advice that you've gotten and then also the best life advice that you've gotten. That's a pretty loaded question. Um, hmm. I have to think about that for a little bit, but honestly, I feel like um, the best life advice that I've gotten was to keep your, um, keep your circle close um, and knowing that the people that will be there for you um, when you're winning and just through eight shutout innings and the people that are with you when you just went three innings and gave up five runs look a lot different. So um, really just having the sense of a family has been huge for me and something that I've learned over the past few years um, in terms of on the baseball field, um, just learn how to compete. I think being able to uh, be thrown into the mix thrown into the fire freshman year at Wake and being able to learn for myself and compete and um, get punched in the mouth, but find a way to claw back and find a way for my team to win um, has been huge for me. and um, Really something that I learned through opportunity and experience. So I'm going back. I, I, I love this final weekend for you. I won't do the whole podcast on this, but so now you're done with your last you outing, right? You, 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 well, I'm just so intrigued. You shove against Pitt. And then for two days, you get to be a fan, right? You get to be a fan. You're a supporter. You're, you're, you're not going to pick up a baseball again, and you're going to go through whatever routines you go through, but you literally get to be a fan. And you guys swept Pitt, and they were one of those top 20 teams, and that's Dunzo now. I mean, that's Dunzo because of you guys. You guys had a great weekend. So how much fun was it being a fan? You're done with college baseball, dude. How much fun was it to shove on Friday and be a fan for two days? Oh, it was so much fun. And to win in the fashion that we did with 
um, on our third game, having our, our seniors go out with a bang and they had 10 RBIs between all of them and have all of them put on a show. It was really cool. And, you know, we play in a small bar, ballpark, so there are a lot of home runs all weekend. So, you know, that's the most exciting thing in the sport. So it was cool to be on the bench and be hyping everyone up. And um, it was a great team camaraderie win to cap off the years that I've been here. That's awesome. I mean, I, that, that, there's a lot of people that I'm sure are envious of that because you've got a bright future. Uh, you were sharing with us, you're, you have workouts for clubs that will come up. Um, Mock Draft has you, PG, most recent at 13 going to the Mariners. My team, they pick at nine, so I'm sure they'll be looking at you, the Angels as well, where I do their games. Um, what, what do they tell you those workouts are like? I mean, I understand what a bullpen is. I threw a thousand of them, but what do they tell you those workouts are like with those teams? Yeah, so honestly, going throughout this season, I really didn't um, want to think about anything but the next game, um, and it's really been something new over the past few days once I've pitched my final game. Um, so we're still trying to figure things out um, and set up a plan, but the idea is um, continue to build up and, um, you know, have a little bit of a shutdown period or, um, or a deload week or so, and then get going for, um, you know, four weeks leading up to the draft and be able to still work on my craft and throw some bullpens and um, be able to, um, you know, not, not stay stagnant, but continue to become a better pitcher. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. I just wanted to ask, you know, obviously you've been, so, you know, in, in the world of your team and, and where you are in the present moment, but do you ever pay attention to the culture of baseball right now, what's going on in baseball um, and, and think, well, oh, I'm going to be joining this soon. I, I like what's going on here. These are some things that, um, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about, like, do you watch baseball and kind of picture yourself there and things you like and things you um, aren't as fond of? Absolutely. Um, I'm a big baseball fan and I feel like you got to be if you're a player um, and really just seeing guys in the MLBs and see how they play with emotion. It seems like mm -hmm. it's a different brand of baseball than before. Um, I'm a guy that goes out there and plays with emotion. Um, so it's great to see. And I think it'd be really cool as I break into professional baseball to fit in with those guys and um, have guys besides me also playing with emotion. It's really fun. Yeah, a thousand percent. I think that that's that's a, something that we've talked a lot about here, too, and, and just the culture shift that is happening in baseball and and guys, quote unquote, being allowed to show emotions and not fearing uh, revenge or what, what might happen to them later in a game. When you watch a game and you see guys who show those emotions, who's someone that really resonates with you? Oh, well, I think. I think Trevor Bauer takes it to the next level and I don't think I'm anywhere close to that. Um, he loves, he loves to mock guys and show guys up. So I'm not quite like that, but um, really just, I think I'm more of a bulldog um, who's just out there fighting. So I think of a guy like, um, you know, Garrett Cole or Max Scherzer who, um, you know, takes laps around the mound and um, really gives their all into every single pitch until their, their day is done. So um, I'm not the type of guy that pitches with emotion, um, you know, to, to mock the other team and to start, start riots, but I'm the guy that pitches with emotion in terms of just showing people that I want it more than they do. Just one quick follow-up with that. Have you met any of those guys, like the superstar guys and talk to them, pick their brains at all? I haven't, but I'm anxious yeah. to. Awesome. 
Who's top of that list? By the way, who's the first guy that if you could if you could choose and, and have it happen, who's top of that list that you want to meet? Eric Cole. Got it. Got it. Very good. Very good. So how much of this uh, like you love, you're okay with the other team showing emotion and all that goes into it. And you, you know, you want to show your emotion in a positive, you know, intense way. Trevor feels in your mind a little bit more scripted. How much of this intensity comes from your days in, in playing ball in the Northeast, your days with Northeast baseball? Um, who are a couple of your travel coaches or guides that I'm guessing they had a way they wanted you to play baseball too. What do you recall about that? Well, I just remember uh, playing for Scott Patterson and Jeff Sullivan at Northeast Baseball. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a group of Northeast guys coming down, coming down south and trying to make a wave. And, um, you know, we, we play and we're having fun. And, you know, those are looking back. Those are the, time, the times of my life that I look back on the, the most fun that I've had playing baseball um, in high school. So um, I think it might have started from there, having the chip on the shoulder, being a Northeast guy and coming in and trying to prove yourself. Travel ball, the, the experience, the PG experience, the challenge of, you know, national that you and I talked about that on the radio, but, um, you know, playing against guys that are the best in the country, how ready did that have you for college? I, look, you've already shared you got punched in the face your freshman year, but then again, how much elite competition had you faced so that you're like, all right, man, I've faced some dudes. I think I can, I think I can handle this. How much did travel ball help you? It helped a ton, honestly. Um, it provided feedback for me in high school, knowing this is where I need to get because these are the guys that I'm going to face. So it helped me stack myself up um, at times and have checkpoints and say, all right, I'm ready to go to college or I need to work on this before I get to college. And, um, you know, being able to get that feedback and um, know that you know, I haven't arrived. I might um, I might be able to dominate at some times in the Northeast, but hey, I'm, I'm not there to be the best that I can be against this national competition. So seeing those guys in high school and then um, seeing them against um, in college again um, really just allowed me to track my progress over time. Finally, for me, I'm just curious because your life's about to change financially and God bless you. That's wonderful. Um, but but what, what jobs, if any, have you had? Um, you're about to have a job that's called baseball. What jobs, if any, through your life have you had? Give me, give me a little rundown on jobs you've had, random jobs. To be honest, I've treated baseball like the job for seven years, so that's okay. Been my one hundred percent focus. Got it. You're lucky you have mom and dad and a college scholarship to help you with that, right? I know, right? Very fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I got a brainiac. I got a brainiac kid like that, so she's doing. She 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 couldn't throw thirty four miles an hour, but her brain's helping her, like you say, not have to take on a job. I just thought I'd go there. Maybe you shoveled something at some point, or built something at some point. We'll save that for another day, man. Our That's cool. pay my rent, but uh, besides that, not too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hey, man, scholarships. College is expensive, dude. It's ridiculous. So good for you. My last one for you, Ryan, is just, you know, as you're about to be introduced to a new fan base and, and major league baseball and minor league baseball and all the people who love the sport so much and are, are going to welcome you with open arms. It's just like one thing that you want people to know about you. Um, that's a good question to sum myself up um i think i'd just be given 100 percent of myself to an organization and i can't wait to see which one that is but i think uh there will definitely be some ups and downs but i think something that will remain consistent is just how dedicated i am to to the fan base so i'm really excited for it 
Time for another Scout's Eye segment. Brian Sikowski will open up his notebook, and he's such a strong Midwestern presence, though. He scouts all over the, the great 48 and beyond. But, but Brian, being a Midwesterner, has a great perspective on Muncie, Indiana, and Ball State, and they are on the outside looking into the NCAA tournament. Here's Brian. With the NCAA tournament selected and seeded and all eyes on the postseason uh, in college baseball, I think it's important for us to kind of look at some of the teams, uh, and I'm going to touch specifically on one being a Mac guy and a Midwest guy, uh, that got left out. Uh, and, and I would just like to talk briefly about Ball State. Um, I'm a Mac guy, as I said, a proud Central Michigan grad. Um, so there may be some bias here, but I'm trying to eliminate that as best I can. I, I think Ball State really, man, they, they really just kind of got screwed here uh, by the NCAA committee. Um, this is a team who went 38 and 18 overall. Uh, they were 29 and 11 in the Mid American Conference. Uh, they finished two games behind Central Michigan in the MAC standings. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to quote from uh, the great Teddy Cahill of Baseball America's write up here as far as uh, um, selection analysis uh, goes. Uh, Teddy says the Cardinals played a, no a challenging non-conference schedule, the 14th hardest in the nation, and split a four-game series at Arizona and won a series at Kentucky. They ranked number 48 in RPI and won 20 games away from home. It would have been hard for them to do anything more, but their RPI was dragged down by the conference they played in. Uh, this is all true and fair. Uh, the MAC obviously is not the strength of conference as the Power Five schools. Nobody's arguing that fact. However, uh, the committee has said, the NCAA has said, we need these these smaller conference schools to play non-conference games against good teams from big conferences and win games. And Ball State did that. Uh, they took two of three um, from you know that they beat. They split a series with Kentucky or won a series at Kentucky. Um, played on the road. Uh, they beat Arizona, or they split a four-game series with Arizona, won a series at Kentucky, my mistake. Um, two impressive sort of things for a Mid-American Conference school. A and then it's just uh, Ball State finishing 48th in RPI. I know that the NCAA committee said that they didn't want to just use RPI, but, but that's the way it ended up aligning, so hard for me to sort of buy that. But if you're going to go by RPI, fine. But Ball State was ahead of three of the schools that made it in over them, and none of them come from uh, automatic bid conference champions either, that being UC Santa Barbara, Maryland, and Michigan. Um, just I don't love the fact that the smaller schools who deserve to get there uh, are consistently screwed over. You could make the argument for something like ticket sales. Uh, just just something that's kind of stuck in my craw a little bit this week, and I figured I, I would use this space to talk about. Um, Ball State had a fantastic season. They should be applauded for that. Coach Rich Maloney and his staff should be applauded for that. And I just think it's unfortunate that we're not going to be able to see them compete on the national stage in the postseason. Every week on this podcast, when we share it with you, we like to take a slice of the pizza pie that is perfect game college baseball. Now, this show is heard year-round at 10 o'clock Eastern every Tuesday night on ESPNU on Sirius XM. It's, it's awesome. And again, once they get past the World Series, we'll still be there with that show. So we had a chance to get to talk with Aaron Zavala. Now, Oregon's hosting. Oregon is epic. And Zavala may be their greatest story because he, like Ethan Wilson on this show, wasn't a whole lot. Not even really a bag of chips coming out of high school. Well, now all of a sudden, he's one of the best hitters in the country. He has forced his way into the pro game. And so here's a little bit of Hunter Pence, my great co-host with Aaron Zavala. 
Yeah, intense series, and, it, and it's been a big season for Oregon. And we've we've talked with your head coach for for a couple weeks. It's been really great following, and he's talked so highly of you, Aaron. And and we're looking at the numbers right now. We're towards the the last week of uh, of the regular season. Seven home runs, three ninety four average, eleven fifty six OPS. Uh, just an absolute tremendous season. Talk to me a little bit about your feel at the plate. I know that last year was a shortened season. You had a, an injury in your freshman year and, uh, you know, you had great numbers and, and not really on a bunch of people's radars, but these numbers with 45 walks are huge numbers. Talk to me a little bit about your feel this season and, and your feel at the plate. Yeah. You know, I was uh, put into a position where I was kind of just a guy that needed to get on base um, for other guys in the lineup and kind of just crafted, crafted my approach around that and just uh, try to just find a way to get on base. I mean, working at bats, working pitchers, getting deep into counts, um, just things like that. Just uh, obviously my, I am getting on base. So what, what I'm doing is working. So we'll stick with it. Yeah, there's a lot of things for me to piece together. There was a, a cool clip of, of your batting practice. And uh, I have a, a, several things that I really want to dig into a little bit uh, over this. But you're very short. It does not look like you're trying to hit homers. Really quick hands. Talk to me about, like, your batting practice approach. And for me, uh, with that good of an eye, it's something that you probably have some intention. Are you, are you, do you work on taking pitches? Uh, or is that just, like, you want to make sure you're honing in on just your pitch, whether it's batting? practice or off a machine uh do you do have anything to create such a wonderful approach at the plate and pitch selection uh, no that's not really something uh trade my eye that i consciously work on um it's more so just in the game controlling the zone and just getting pitches i can handle um it's a big thing and i'll take pitches early in counts that i don't don't think are pitches i can put good swings on and you know sometimes they're strikes sometimes they're pulls, but uh, like I said earlier, though, I'm, I'm comfortable hitting, hitting deep in the count. So being able to do that has allowed for, for um, more success. So is it Sal Frelick or Freelick, Danny? Which one is it from Boston College? How do Sal Freelick. So Sal was one of the early guests on this show. He, uh, when we dropped the velvet rope, he, he got in first. He had the best <laughs> outfit. And um, so in the latest mock draft that, that Brian Sikowski and Vinny Servino have put out, he, he's going to my angels. And so I'm kind of excited. Like I, I look at this mock draft um, and, I, and I look at our, our podcast and I'm like, Danny has just crushed it. I mean, Marcelo, Marcelo Meyer, um, you know, Khalil Watson, Henry Davis has been a guest, Sal, Sal Freelich, Frelick, whichever you'd like to call him, uh, Colton <laughs> Kowser. I mean, all these great guys, they're all being drafted. Of course, Ryan Cusick on this list as well. Um, well done by you. Well done by you. My gosh, this, this podcast has been like all these guys in the first round. Well, thank you. It, 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 I'm very, um, you know, I'm, I'm good at my job. I'm not bad at my job, <laughs> but also I think that this is every person who comes on the podcast or every person we ask to is so thankful for the opportunity. They they're so excited or the, you know, the SIDs who are helping us, they are so excited to be able to share the stories of their players. So it kind of goes both ways. It's win-win for everyone. Uh, do, you, do you remember when we had Marcelo Meyer on this podcast, young man from the San Diego oh, yeah. area? Of course. So, so, so these guys have gone at one, one, <laughs> this podcast may, may have, may have chatted with the guy who's going one, one. Wow. He's Isn't incredible. Right. Yeah. 
Marcelo is uh, from Mexico. He has a big family. He's a huge personality, always smiling. And he's really good. Like the dude is a dirt bag. He can always play his uniforms, always dirty. Um, he, he's really good, but I, I like him a lot as a person. I, I enjoyed getting to know him. So I loved our guest. I think this was great this week. I, I like that they're both, um, you know, obviously when you play in the ACC, you're a power five guy, but his team is out. And I love that we did the, for, for the love of the game, Kevin Costner in, inside his head thing. <laughs> and uh, Ethan Wilson's a mid-major guy. And um, both these guys are, are going to be different forever and ever. Um, so uh, I, I kind of like that we, we knew them when. We knew them when. And, and something tells me neither one of these guys will change dramatically. No, not at all. They're really good people. They have good hearts and they shared a lot of their story with us. Their lives are going to change forever. And I think their contributions to college baseball are phenomenal. I hope that South Alabama is able to go on a little run here, give, get everyone riled up, get them excited. And I think he, you know, Ethan Wilson's about to put his hometown. Where's he from again? Andalusia. Andalusia op are the two towns down there. Oppo yeah. PP. Um, that was a great rap song. I think, I don't know if it was great. Um, OPP op, um, and then Andalusia. So yes, he's from Andalusia. Andalusia is about to put them on the map. And I think that that town's going to be so proud of him, his family and, and himself. He, he earned this and he knows it. So I want to remind everyone, Danny, that they should subscribe and, and like, and reply and send us texts and emails. Is that, is that what you do? Definitely call me. Let me know what you think about the podcast. <laughs> 8675309. me. Give me nice. a call. Yeah. Or OPP, either one of those two <laughs> great songs. One. Yes. Well done. Let us know. Please leave us a leave us a comment, share, um, and, and do what you want with it, but consume it and enjoy it because these kids are awesome. So you're welcome. Yeah, we want to thank Fred from Cerritos for that great review you gave us, Fred. <laughs> Um, excellent stuff, Cerritos, California, and uh, what an excellent review. Um, everyone else joined Fred, Fred, Fred uh, Gonzalez from Cerrito, who left us that review. So, um, yeah, that's it. That's the end of the podcast.